Uh, the obvious, incredibly obvious thing uh, for me to say is that we are all very, very familiar uh, with this story. We know this story that we have in front of us very well indeed. Because of Christians' familiarity with the Christmas story, each year there are attempts by Christians to tell the incarnation account with a little imaginative twist. Isn't that right? Most of them can be really incredibly cheesy as well. You know it, I'm sure. There'll be a nativity play in a school and it will be told from the perspective of the innkeeper. Or what else will we see? We'll maybe see a cartoon on the television that will tell the Christmas story from the perspective of a little child watching on in Bethlehem. There was, believe it or not, just a few years ago, a story written uh, telling the Christmas story uh, from the perspective of a donkey uh, in the stable at Bethlehem. You get the idea. Uh, there are all sorts of imaginative uh, approaches uh, when it comes to the Christmas story. Well, this evening, we're not going to do that. Uh, and, and this evening, what I want to do is not uh, to focus on any of you know, the innkeepers. I don't want to think about the donkeys either. Uh, instead, this evening, what I want us to do is to think about the Christmas story from the perspective of the shepherds in the fields. So we all, this evening, know that the shepherds had a role at Christmas time. I want us, this evening, to think about, well, wait a minute, what was that role? What does that tell us about the Christian life? And what do the shepherds even tell us about the Christian gospel? So that's this evening. So I would ask uh, that you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and from verse 8. And the first thing that I want us to notice are the recipients uh, of the announcement. That's the first thing for us to consider, the recipients of this announcement. Uh, so you know the story, the big picture. Of course you do. Uh, there's another thing I can say with uh, some degree of certainty, and that is that all of us know the exact context at this point in the story. What has just happened in the background? The Lord Jesus Christ has just been born. And here, what we are dealing with in this portion is the very first announcement of this birth. The announcement of this birth. And what is it? <laughs> It's not a board placed on an easel outside Buckingham Palace, is it? That's how maybe other births are announced, but that's not what we have here. What do we have tonight in this first announcement? We have actually, at this point, one solitary angel at this point, And the angel announces this good news, this birth, to farm workers in a field outside Bethlehem. Now, because of that, I think you and I ought to just now first try to wrestle with just how incredibly unlikely these farm workers were as the first recipients of good news and this announcement of the birth, just how unlikely they were. Um, I did this with the wise men, but can I ask you again this week, what comes to mind when you think about shepherds? When you hear shepherds, what springs uh, to mind? Is it the Christmas card sort of picture of the shepherds? 
Maybe as you think about shepherds, maybe it's that program that used to be on the TV all those years ago. What was it? One man and his dog. What more could we want from TV entertainment than a sheepdog trials? on our TV, right? Maybe it's that. Uh, I was, of course, brought up in the north of Scotland, fields all around us. So when I think about shepherds, what do I think about? I think about just some of the blokes that I grew up around, some of the men that I knew. What were they? They were just guys like me. They were just ordinary men, these shepherds. That's what I think about. I think what we have to appreciate is that things were very different in the ancient world. What we have to appreciate, in the first century world, there was an incredible amount of disdain for shepherds. Shepherds, generally speaking, disliked in the ancient world. Now, would you permit me to give you a couple of reasons for that? One, shepherds in the ancient world were viewed as being incredibly irreligious men. Irreligious men. What do we know? We know that the religious leaders at the time, of course, they went to great lengths to protect (laughs) entrance to the temple, to protect worship of God, don't we? The Pharisees, what did they do? Set up all of these extra biblical rules for temple entrance worship of God. Now, we have to understand that because of the hours that shepherds kept, And because of the type of work that shepherds did, working with unclean animals all the time, we need to appreciate that shepherds themselves were viewed as being ceremonially unclean. Shepherds, largely speaking, barred from access to the temple for worship, viewed as being ceremonially unclean, 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 irreligious. That's the first reason. The second reason, though, is that shepherds were also seen as being untrustworthy. Um, I wonder if you've heard of the Mishnah. Do we know what uh, I mean by the Mishnah? Uh, The Mishnah, Jewish book, it's a, a written record of Jewish sort of spoken oral traditions, the Mishnah. And uh, I I am always amazed at what the Mishnah says uh, about shepherds. Uh, So this is what the Mishnah says uh, in the ancient world to Jews. The Mishnah prohibits Jews (laughs) from purchasing food or clothing from shepherds. Why? Goes on. Because most likely those things will be stolen. (laughs) Don't buy food. Don't buy clothing from shepherds. That stuff will be hot. It will be nicked. Do you see the idea? In the ancient world, shepherds were viewed as being, let's be honest about it, a little bit dodgy. In fact, viewed as being so dodgy that in the ancient world, shepherds were not allowed to give testimony in a court of law. Now, as you consider just now that it is not to the high priest in the temple, nor is it to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, but it's to men like this. It is to shepherds that God announces first the good news of his son. As you consider that, perhaps we might sit in here and wonder and be surprised 
Our reaction might be amazement. But if you are a Christian in this room, do you not agree? That is just like our God, isn't it? And in fact, is not what we have in front of us almost just this little snapshot of the gospel itself? Isn't it? After all, what is it that Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians? Please hear it. Of those who, who God has come to save. Do you remember what Paul says? He says, not many are wise by human standards. Not many are of noble birth. No, God has chosen the foolish things of this earth. The, the shepherds to shame the wise. What does Jesus say? Do you remember we looked at this a couple of weeks ago? Christ has come not to call the religious Not to call those who think of themselves as righteous, but Christ has come to call the sinner to repentance. Isn't this just like our God? And I think that should be of immense encouragement to you this evening. If you're anything like me, as you continue in the Christian life, often you can be haunted both by shame and doubt. You you understand. Shame. Why shame? As we go about in the life of St. Peter's and our Christian life, shame because of our sin and our wickedness. We feel, don't we, so often in the life of St. Peter's, we feel like hypocrites on a Sunday. Shame. And why doubt? Because of all this hypocrisy in our hearts and all of our sin, we begin sometimes just to ask, am I a Christian, can I live in like this with all of this sin? Can I truly be saved? And what does God remind you about this evening? He first announces this birth to shepherds. He first announces the birth to sinners. Don't you see? Yes, with all of our baggage, with all of our wickedness, if we have looked to Jesus Christ... (laughs) then this salvation truly is for the likes of you and me. So the recipients of this announcement. The second thing that we need to notice here and think about is the root of the announcement, the root of the announcement. So if you're following me, you've you've seen that we've thought about to whom uh, this announcement is made. But then we need to follow that up with thinking, well, what exactly is this announcement, this message of joy? Tell you what, why don't we read it together? So I wonder if we could put uh, verse 11 uh, up on the screen. There we go. So what's happening? The angel appears, right? Is that correct? The angel appears, the angel comforts the shepherds. Then the angel unpacks uh, this good news and read it with me. The angel says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, what is it, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, you know your Bibles very well. I'm learning that quickly uh, as your minister at St. Peter. So you can see what's going on there, can you? You can see that there is this intricate weaving of many Old Testament themes and ideas all coming together in a very few words spoken from this angel. Can't you see it? There's this interlocking, this dovetailing of Old Testament themes 
What do we have here? Who is this Jesus? Do you notice? First, we're told that Jesus is the Christ. Is that correct? Something that we thought about just a couple of weeks ago. Of course, this is the Greek form of that Hebrew word Messiah. What does that tell us? What is this announcement? Who's the baby? Who's the child? But the anointed one. Isn't that right? The promised deliverer. Crucially, the one promised from whom? From God. But it doesn't end there. Christ, it's true. What else does the angel say? This is Christ, the Lord. The Lord. The the Greek word, of course, kurios, a word that, yes, in the Old Testament, can be used of men in certain situations and certain circumstances. But more often than not, who is it used of? Lord, who is it used of? It is used of God himself. And don't you just love the positioning of this? If you think about verse 1, just at the point where the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire is flexing its muscles, just as the point where Rome is conducting this grand census, Rome moving people around the known world, seeking to assess its power, just at that moment, what does God do? He sends the angel to remind us, it is not Caesar. It is not Caesar. It is this little child in his mother's arms. It is Jesus who is Lord. Now there is, I'm sure you see it, an emerging theme at this point. What is the theme from the angel at this point? Do you see? Surely it is that this little child is divine. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. He is the Son of God. He is Emmanuel, God, with us. But don't you agree that is not the full sum of the good news? Because look again at this. What does the angel not say? How does it begin? The angel does not say, appearing to you is Christ the Lord. The angel does not say, come to you from heaven. It's Christ the Lord. What does the angel say? Born to you. Born to you. Yes, the the divinity of Jesus is front and center. But also what we have here is the perfect humanity of this Christ the Lord. And as many times as you have thought about that, is it not wonderful to linger on it again that the shepherds had cause to joy? You have cause this evening to rejoice. Why? Because what was being announced is God become man. This child fully divine, fully human, that here in Mary's arms was the one who, as man, can represent you before the almighty, holy God. But here, this child was one who, as God, can eternally deal with your wickedness, with all of your sin. No wonder the angel adds a third title. Do you see what it is? He is Savior. Truly, Jesus is that for all who will look to him in faith. So we see the recipients of this announcement and the root of the announcement. 
And then the third and the last thing to consider is the response to the announcement. At this point, as we walk through uh, this text this evening, that we get to that Christmassy moment uh, that everybody knows. You know that moment where the solitary angel here is joined, can I say, by his friends. You know it, don't you? The solitary angel finishes the announcement, and what happens? Uh, Suddenly, immediately, it would seem, there is this heavenly host that joins the angel. It's that word, isn't it? For a vast army. We have at this moment this celestial throng. And what are they doing? You notice that they are all praising the name of God. That's an amazing idea, amazing image. But as awesome as it is, it's not what I want us to focus on as we close See, after these angels appear, this throng, maybe as many and as far as the eye can see for these shepherds, as they appear, they also depart. And I wonder, will you try and imagine that? What that was like for the shepherds? Dazzled by this heavenly throng, and then suddenly they go. And what happens in that field? There is immediate darkness and silence falls. And so what I want to know is what the shepherds do. How did they respond to this incredible moment? And as we come into land and as we close, I just want to point out three things that the shepherds do in response to this announcement. So if we can put up verse 12, we'll see the first. The first thing that the shepherds do is that they go to Jesus. Now, do you see this? Uh, verse 12 uh, here. We looked at this. If you were in church yesterday, Christmas morning, uh, we looked at this briefly uh, yesterday, uh, don't we? We see that the angel doesn't just announce the birth, but the angel also speaks of a sign. Do we see it? That should the shepherds travel to Bethlehem, that they will see a baby dressed in swaddling cloth, lying in this animal trough. And this will be a confirmation for the shepherds that what the angel is saying is true. Confirmation that this child is actually the Messiah. Now, I have one very, very simple question for you this evening. My question is, maybe some of the younger people can think about the answer. My question is, what do the shepherds do? So the angel has come. The angel has said, if you go to Bethlehem, you will see this child and there will be confirmation of this child's identity. If you do that, what do the shepherds do? The answer could not be more simple, could it? The shepherds go to Jesus. And perhaps it is the case that some in this room tonight and some who are perhaps listening on just now, that you need to think long and hard about that reality. Perhaps it's the case that some in here, some listening online, perhaps you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I need you to know it's simply, just honestly, not enough. It is not enough, like the shepherds, to hear details about Jesus. And it is, it is not enough to, to listen to information about the Christ. What you need to do 
if you are to receive everlasting life, forgiveness for your sins. And that is what is on offer in the gospel. What you need to do, like the shepherds, is to go, even this evening, to Jesus. Indeed, to run to Jesus, to behold Jesus by yourself with your own eyes of faith. And I, 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 I want to urge you to do that, even this very night. Because you know what it's like. We can hear these things. The young people even, you can hear these things time and time and time again and it can wash over you and we can procrastinate. But I would urge you this evening, go tonight to Jesus. Pray if you have not done that. Confess to Jesus your desperate need. Confess to him that you are a sinner. But like the shepherds, this evening go to Jesus Behold this Christ with the eyes of faith. Then the second thing that the shepherds do is they also tell off Jesus. I may have mentioned this to you before, but I think you're probably the same as myself. But very often when I'm reading the Bible, um, I get to portions of Scripture when I'm reading it at home, not for sermon preparation, but just by myself reading in the Bible, I get to sections of Scripture, and my wish <laughs> is that I could be there to fully understand what was going on. Do you see? Uh, obvious examples, things like the Garden of Eden, just to get a picture of what that was like, what it looked like, or Sinai, or the Mount of Transfiguration, to see it with my, with my own eyes. Do you not agree we're almost in, in the realm of that this evening? Would you not love to have been a fly on the wall when the shepherds knock at the door? And they see Mary. And the shepherds come into Bethlehem. They see Joseph. But wouldn't you love to be a fly in the wall? When the shepherds look down at this animal trough and they see the infant Jesus and they realize, of course, the truth of, of what, what has been said. Would you not love to have been there? But if you are a Christian this evening, are you not also deeply challenged by how the shepherds react to that scene. Can we put up verse 17? And can you notice with me three words at the heart of verse 17? Can we, can we put that up? Do you see it? When they saw it, look at these three words. They made known what they saw, what had been said. They made known. And friends, is that not a deeply challenging thing for us. I'll read this to you. I, I read this uh, last week, and it, I found it so challenging. I'll paraphrase, but the writer says this. It is a great barometer of our own spiritual temperature to consider how willing we are to tell people of Jesus. It is a great measure of the situation of our hearts to consider how ready we are to spread around us the good news of God. Is it not challenging? Is that not true? Friend, do we love Jesus? Do you know Jesus as the one who has lived righteously for you and died for your sin, risen for your justification? Then should we not go from Christmas 
And should we not tell even just one person in the coming days of this one who is born, God become man for people's salvation? So the shepherds, they go to Jesus, they speak of or they tell of Jesus. And the third and the last thing is that they also worship Jesus. They worship Jesus. Because isn't it lovely if you've got your Bible in front of you, or if we put up verse 20, isn't it lovely to see the last detail that we're given about these men, so sort of despised by society? What do they do? Did you see in verse 20? So they return. Where, where do they return to? To the fields. So they're going back to their workplace. They're going back to their patterns. They're going back to their own life. But how do they go back? Do you notice they're surely changed by this encounter, not just with the angel, but this encounter with God, with the God man. And how do they go back? Look, they went back glorifying, praising God. So I want to end with this, which is quite simply an appeal to those who are Christians in the room, an appeal to you. Friends, on the back of our encounter with this text, I appeal to you, let's make these shepherds more than just a source of intrigue. <laughs> let's make them more than just a case study. Will we not make these shepherds a model for us to follow, a pattern for us to follow, an example to heed? I'm sure you understand what I mean. Friends, as we go back out into our fields, if you'll allow that, as we go back into the patterns of our life after Christmas, going towards a new year, will we not go out determined to, to give special time, devoted time to the praise and the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ? After all, Christian friends, who is this Jesus He is, you might say, he's the seed of the woman who crushed the serpent's head. Who's this Jesus? He is, he is the true Passover lamb, is he? Who is this Jesus? He's the kinsman redeemer, truly. Who is this Jesus? You'd say he's Isaiah's branch springing out of dry ground. Who is this Jesus from this morning? We could say he is the true Israel of God. Who is this Jesus for us? He is our good shepherd, isn't he? And what has he done for you? This good shepherd has laid down his life for you, his sheep. Surely it is that our good shepherd is worthy of all of our praise. He is worthy of all of our worship. Let's bow and pray.